Well, I wanted to talk a little bit um, this time about uh, what does it mean to have a little bit of a balance in terms of our approach um, in interaction with the Muslim community. Um, I want to kind of take as a point of departure a uh, text that uh, is translated variously, a text from Genesis 17, that's translated a little bit variously depending on which translation you use. Um, but I'm going to read it in, a, in uh, Eugene Peterson's message translation um, because I think he kind of he kind of captures the spirit of what I think the text is saying and, and what um, serves as a, as a really wonderful point of departure for us as we think about how we interact with the Muslim world. God in Genesis 17, God is speaking to, to Abram, or by then he's Abraham, and uh, says, to him, says to him that uh, he's going to be multiplied, kind of reiterates his promises, and, and then tells him, your wife, Sarai will, or Sarah, Sarah, who was previously called Sarai, will, uh, will give birth, she will give birth to a baby. And, and, and I love Abraham's response to that. His response is basically, <laughs> he, he, he can't believe what he's hearing almost. And, and he laughs, and, and uh, Eugene Peterson, the way he, pray, he translates this, he says, Abraham fell flat on his face, and then he laughed, thinking, can a hundred-year-old fa man father a son, and can Sarah, at 90 years, have a baby? I mean, you can kind of understand why he would kind of be cracked up by this a little bit. And, but then he says, and this is really what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting to, he says, recovering, Abraham, Abraham said to God, Oh, keep Ishmael alive and well before you. But God said, that's not what I mean. Now, some translations say yes, but, or no, but. But here, the way that he puts this, that's not what I mean. He says, um, your wife, Sarah, will have a baby, a son. Name him Isaac, which means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him and his descendants, a covenant that lasts forever. And Ishmael, yes, I have heard your prayer for him. I'll also bless him. I'll make sure he has plenty of children, a huge family. He'll father 12 princes. I'll make him a great nation, but I'll establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will give you about this time next year. There's a, there's a balance in here for us. Now, now of course, some people, um, now on the one hand, some people will connect uh, the broader Muslim world, even the broader Arab world, with Ishmael, and there's some connection with the Arab world. I think that gets stretched a little too thin sometimes, but... But if we can take this as a metaphor, there's a sense in which, on the one hand, Abraham is crying out to God on behalf of his son, Ishmael, who he loves and who he cares for. And he says, come on, can't you just bless Ishmael? He's my boy. And God says, well, I will bless him, but that's not really what I'm talking about here. His blessing is meant to come through um, Isaac, and the people who will come through Isaac and eventually God's Messiah through those people. There's a sense in which God's desire for blessing on Ishmael is reflected in what, what Abraham says, and yet it's not the ultimate thing. In, when we interact with the Muslim community, we can kind of hold these two things in tension. I think it's important to hold in tension the fact that God truly, genuinely, absolutely loves 
our Muslim friends, whether they be from the Middle East, from the Arab world, uh, from Iran, from Indonesia, from India, from Pakistan, or, or, or uh, Nigeria, these different countries in North Africa. God loves our Muslim friends. But at the same time, as we interact with them, um, there is a sense that, that uh, ultimately there needs to be a reference to uh, the scandal of particularity of the fact that ultimately salvation really is found um, in the covenant that we have in Christ. Um, this is important. It's important to maintain this balance. Some people focus so, so far off on the sensitivity side that they never really get to the witness part. Um, others will focus so much on apologetics or, or, or even uh, focus on, uh, you know, there are, there are ministries that go around the country kind of warning Christians about those Muslims. Um, in a way, I think that's kind of sad um, because uh, it puts fear into people rather than, than faith that we can, these are real human beings that we can interact with who Jesus died for and loves so desperately that he wants them in his kingdom. So there's a sense in which we, we, we must grasp um, the need for sensitivity and learning and genuine interaction and, and also perhaps a healthy grasp of apologetics. When we interact with our congregation, if we, you're, you're in a community where uh, and there are many communities, especially in college towns and such, where there are, where there are growing uh, populations of Muslims, how can we interact? How can we teach and guide those who are in our churches to interact? Well, on the one hand, um, it's important for them to have some sort of a foundation of apologetics, of, of understanding how to um, defend Christianity, because uh, uh, Muslim, many Muslim people are also being taught how to share their faith with us, which is an odd position often to find for us to find ourselves in. Um, but at the same time, we need to learn to reach out with love and respect, with love and respect. Um, part of this involves how we talk about God with them. Part of this involves um, when we talk about the prophets, and especially uh, when we're talking with our Muslim friends, when uh, we talk about uh, the one they regard as their, as their key prophet, Muhammad, um, uh, rather than constantly in an oppositional mode, um, looking for bridges, looking for ways to share in a way that will make connections, that will perhaps guide people um, to be more responsive to our witness.